Welcome to the UK Scriptwriters Podcast. It's me, Danny Stack, with... Me, Tim Clay. Yeah. Guess where we are, folks? We're live from Royal Festival Hall in that fancy London. So you might be able to hear in, in the background uh, the orchestra warming up. We're not joking. I haven't added it on the soundtrack as a gag. <laughs> so any sudden uh, bass drums or timpani accompaniment is, uh, is happening for us as well. Yes. So this is a special UK Scriptwriters podcast because we're interviewing uh, writer and script editor Andrew Ellard. Hi, hello. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I've been wanting to interview you for a while, actually. Well, I'm very fascinated. Yeah, so it, it's, be it's been on the cards. So yes. we've, we've made the trip special. Um, and we just wanted to talk to you about your career and what's going on and script editing comedy in particular, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, um, so for those that um, don't know Andrew, introduce, introduce yourself, mate. I'm a, I'm, well, I'm exactly that. I'm a writer and script editor and I, um, I script edit on things like The IT Crowd and Miranda and Cardinal Burns and... In the meantime, I'm writing my own stuff and developing my own stuff, and the reason you haven't heard of any of that is because it's all in development and, right. and all of that. So where everybody knows me from is either from script editing on shows that you've seen or from Twitter where I've annoyed you or said something. Brilliant. <coughs> worthy. Brilliant. Sounds just like us. Um, uh, and the first time we met was at the Southern Script right. Festival. Down which, in Bournemouth. Down in Bournemouth, which you came down and gave a talk mm-hmm. to, which I don't think we went to because we had our own talk or something at the Thanks same very time. Much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but there you go. Yeah. And, uh, but we saw you in the green room after. And funnily enough, the next time um, uh, that I was aware of your name, was when I was at the London Screenwriters Festival and I went to talk uh, with Graham Linehan, who mentioned you. Right, yes. So it was almost like, hey, I know that name. Um, and that was great, you know what I mean? That you kind of, to get, to, to hear about you and to have met you at the, uh, as well. So mostly comedy is your bag, right? It's, it seems to be, it seems to be, although it was never a deliberate choice. I was never um, kind of targeted at comedy. I came out right. of, of, of university absolutely adamant that I was going to be doing drama, that I was going to be writing... Um, you know, in a, in a sort of Jimmy McGovern-y, because that was who was huge when I was mm. at university, Jimmy mm. McGovern-y kind of stuff, and that the way to do that was was kind of like how he did, because one of the, his big... He was on Brookside for yeah, a long yeah, time yeah, before. Yeah. And you kind of went, oh, OK, and soaps. And the thing about soaps is, soaps is a career. Soaps, mm. you get a job, you can do more in one episode, you can keep mm. coming back, it's a constant mill. So I thought, well, there you go, that means it's a profession that I can tell my mother about confidently and not yeah, feel like yeah. it's just pie in the sky. So I was absolutely adamant I was going to be doing EastEnders, Coronation Street, whatever, but I was going to be doing that, and yeah. that was that was everything. Well, why, did you, why did you even think that, Andrew? Was it, did you, what, did you like those shows? I, I was certainly, I, certainly I was watching Casualty and I was watching Holby at that point, right. and I was definitely watching EastEnders. I've dropped basically all my soaps in the last right. kind of ten years, but at the time I was, yeah. I, was yeah. I was into all of them but it was also that it, it it was clear that in order to get you needed practice you needed experience and you needed yeah. to to demonstrate your ability somewhere and you couldn't do that just by keep writing things in and sending them in alone that yeah you, that, that getting jobs and also you had to pay the rent and it was either get a proper job or be a writer and I wanted yeah. to be a writer <laughs> so it looked like a career it looked like a proper job um, so where was what was you thinking on comedy at the time? Was it like you I loved was, it, but I you was, just yeah, never, you, I was you never watching even it. thought it was possible? In retrospect, I've realised, back when I was kind of 12, 13, 14, at school, we were kind of taking Monty Python sketches and rewriting them and re- rewriting right. them, the arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't know. But you, um, I, I just think some things haven't changed. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of thing you do now. And you would, we, <clears throat> so we would get the video camera and get really excited about shooting stuff. And I used to do, I used to do, me and a friend of mine used to do two Ronnie sketches on the, on the 
the stage at um, school Christmas concerts yeah, and stuff. Yeah. The, the strange case of Mrs. Mace, which is the one that all rhymes. Morning, Donning, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, sir, she was shot in Ogshot by Bagshot with a slingshot full of buckshot. It's all still in there. <laughs> um, so I, I was clearly massively interested in comedy. I loved the reactions it gave you. But then as soon as I was a writer, I yeah. somehow went, well, you know, there's, there's yeah. funny and then there's writing. Yeah. And I, I never... And also, I... I think at the time I hadn't fully appreciated that you could be distinct, that you could be not a performer of comedy and still write comedy. Yes, yes. That it, I, I kind of, you kind of figure, and this is to be fair, this was always deliberate. When when they presented the two runnies to people, when they presented Morecambe and Wise, they presented it as them. It was yeah. it was never them as brought to you by a team of writers. Yes, which still happens now. You know, yes. you look at um, you look at any of the kind of additional writer credits on the end of shows, and you yeah. go, okay, so they're they're the star, but they didn't. This isn't all they're. Well, the, yeah. the funny thing is, actually, if you go back to those days, even the people that were writing, like especially maybe two runnies and. Um, uh, maybe the more satirical David Frost style mm-hmm. radio stuff and all that. Even the writers were also well-known performers. Yeah, yeah. And they'd come in and helped, but you still knew those names. You know what and I mean? In their own right. And to be fair, there's no denying. And I always think I'm going. I'm going to lack for this. You, there is no question. If you are somebody who takes material yourself and delivers it to an audience and overcome all the fear it takes yeah, to do yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you are. You're at an advantage because you've tested material. You know that certain things. You know, obviously, you hear about stand-up all the time. You think they've got a killer thing, and then they go out and do it, and the bit just doesn't fly at yeah, all yeah, for yeah. some reason. And you can't. And you go, like, you know, I've written this 14 ways, and for some reason, this joke never, ever, ever lands. Yeah. But apart from that, generally speaking, those guys develop such a good instinct for mm. what will hit and what will miss, and what. And that's invaluable to write, even when, even in the writing process. I'm, I'm jumping ahead here a bit, Andrew. But mm. you know, even then, while you were growing up, did you were you even then deconstructing comedy and how it worked? Do you think? I, I think because that's something you do, obviously, you know regularly what? now. I gen- genuinely, I mean, they, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit. But I had no idea script editor was a job. Mm. I had no idea that deconstructing. Mm. It's just in my nature to be kind of pragmatically analytical, mm. and I've always been. I've always been kind of able to detach. You see it a lot when I do tweet notes about things. Sometimes I'll do a set of tweet notes about a show, about a movie. And people come and go, hang on, so did you like it or not like yeah. it? And it's like, well, I'm not talking about that. That's my taste. My taste is a separate thing from yeah. whether a... a you, when you put a machine together and it yeah. functions, either it functions or it doesn't, either it makes... As, as it was designed absolutely. to do. So you, you're looking at what were... Your best notes, and you at your best, is looking at what is it that those guys want to do yeah. with this story... And why is it? Why is there inefficiencies in here? Let me let me help you get that better. I think one of the reasons I'm not too bad at the job that I do is because when I read a script, my jo- my I always say my job is to get you to the best version of the thing you're already trying to write. Yeah. What it isn't is to turn up and tell you what this should be, mm. yeah, and that's yeah. a different thing. And so when a when a script comes to me, one, giving notes is one thing, but before you give notes. You have to get what they're trying to say with the thing mm. that they've already written. Yeah. Oh, you're trying to get a laugh out of this. You're trying to get this kind of personality across. You're trying to have this kind of tone where, where, where this kind of specific thing can happen and we'll believe it because of the tone of the rest of it. All of that is about understanding. It's about comprehending. And it's about being on the side of the writer. Mm. So when I go and see a movie, when I see a TV show, it's all the same thing. Mm. I've always had this kind of... This, this kind of separation of on the one hand it's whether I liked it or not whether it was for me or not mm. uh, and then separately from that this thing this thing of oh yeah but is it, is it what they were trying to do because yeah. if it achieves what they were trying to do you, Richard Curtis gave a, a, an interview ages ago and I'm not a big fan of his recent movies 
but he said, "Well, no, but my my stuff, these rom coms and these these this town, things are for the people who like them." Like, if you don't like horror movies, you can't yeah, make yeah, the yeah, horror yeah. movie. What's the point of yeah. trying to... If you're the kind of person who's cynical about London, who's yeah. cynical about... Of course Richard Curtis comedy isn't... His job isn't to try and please the people who were never going to like it in the mm. first place. His job is to work for the right the audience mm. that are going to love it. Now, that shouldn't mean you become jaded. That shouldn't mean that you allow yourself to get away with stuff because what does it matter because the people yeah, who yeah, like yeah, me yeah, will yeah, like yeah. me because otherwise you end up like Kevin Smith yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, but yeah. The, the, the ultimate realisation that you don't have to write for everyone you just have to write for the people who like this kind of thing Yeah, I think that's good I think that's useful and helpful and my part of my job as a script is to be that guy yeah. at least as far as you're concerned there's yeah. a well, get, well, getting into the world of comedy then, uh, Andrew to rewind mm. um, would it be fair to say then that that was Red Dwarf for you? Kind of. I get. Tell us how you broke in. Red Red Dwarf's complicated because I was a fan of that show, and I want to be clear. I was a fan who went to a convention dressed up and won second prize in 1993, <laughs> dressed as Arnold Rimmer. Okay. Circus Series Two. Yeah. Oh my God. You've got to pick you. And part, to be honest, it was a terrible costume, but I, I was thin at the time, and I had this. I had a performance. I was able to do the Chris Barry face. Oh and yeah. Okay. Stuff. So it was, a wor- it was a worthy runner's up. All I you need is that and the H, and I, you're there. I came, I came runner up to a toaster though, so you can't look oh, at it too. Okay. Anyway, okay. but I was a fan of that show. I was, yeah. I was in deep to that, and then separately went to university. Blah blah blah. Finished university was was milling around, trying desperately, signing on, and not knowing quite what to do with myself. And Grant Naylor, the production company behind Red Dwarf, mm. dropped me a line as because um, I'd been editing the fan club magazine, and, writing, ah, and I'd interviewed. Okay. In fact, I'd interviewed a writer. I'd interviewed Paul Alexander, who's now a mate. Yeah. For that, um, and they kind of—I think they heard good things about that, and they'd read the next issue that I, the first issue that I edited, and they got in touch and said, "We're setting up the Red Dwarf website properly. We want it to have news, reviews, features, proper articles, some comedy stuff, blah blah blah. And we need a writer for all of that who knows mm. the show backwards. And real writers are too expensive, and you're a postgrad. So do you want to come in and do that? And that's where—that's how I got. So I was in awesome. the Grant Naylor yeah. production office, and I can't tell you. The, everyone said, asks for how did you break in advice mm. you didn't break in mm. but what did happen was I got a job in the production office doing stuff that nobody dreams of doing mm. except that I was a fan of Red Dwarf so I was happy to be around it but yeah. never meet your idols and yeah. all of that yeah. but it meant I was in the room so when we started doing the Red Dwarf DVDs I'd already kind of done directing and stuff at mm. university but it meant I could direct the documentaries for the DVDs yeah. and behind the scenes yeah. you start to become useful as a, as yeah. in a very low level a version of production yeah, yeah. Separately from that, Doug Naylor was writing the the Red Dwarf feature film at the time, and um, and he sent me a draft just to kind of get a fan's perspective on it. And I sent him notes and tentatively because you don't want to kind of slag mm. anybody's work. Well, that's a bit. Blah, blah, blah. And he sent me a thing by going, "These are the best notes I've ever had." And it's like, no, no, this is just what I think. It's mm. not. You know. So then I sent him a second set of notes that were the unvarnished version of what I sent the first time with like, and here's the stuff I didn't really want to say, but oh my God, these are so useful. Next thing I know, he's recommended me to Paul Jackson. Right. Um, and you see, and he was no. at that point, he was ITV. ITV. Um, by the time that happened, so that's 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, so the movie had rolled through various iterations and, and whatever. So the timeline for this is very, very, very messy. But the the short version is I didn't know that giving notes was a thing that people considered valuable and useful. Right. And yeah. Doug made me realise that that was absolutely the case. That, in a sense, was your first script editing gig. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But, so but, it, but it wasn't. If yeah. you see what I mean, it wasn't a gig. It wasn't a thing. It yeah. was just... 
Proving just is, did it. And this is one of the things I say when people ask me about you know where to go and how to get started. Be useful to people. Mm. One of those things. Get involved. And get, be useful. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just and obviously I got you know I managed to get the ear of, of a guy who created a franchise I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. That's unusual. No one else is going to be able to follow that exact trajectory. But the, nobody wants notes anyway. Nobody mm. wants notes. Mm. Notes are a horrible. Scripts are a horrible document anyway. Mm. Scripts yeah. are. Nobody wants to read a script. Nobody no. wants to read it. They're terrible anyway. Books you want to read because at least they're designed to put the yeah, imagery yeah, yeah, in your brain. Yeah, yeah. Scripts are designed to get the imagery onto a screen. They're to tell you how to shoot it as much as how to. They're intermediary steps. No architect shows off his blueprints. He shows off the building. Mm. And as a writer, what you want to show is the finished film, the finished... They're not nice documents. And then on top of that, having slaved to try and produce one, nobody wants an email that turns up with 12 pages of, yeah, but that doesn't really work. (laughs) One of the things about me is I try and make it that you want my notes, (laughs) that they're actually considered valuable, that you go on and want to do the rewrites based on... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. That's a good approach for a script. Editor. Inspiring, inspiring. Yeah. You inspiring. want you want no, nothing better than when I finish the phone call, finish the note, get the email back, whatever, and they go, "Oh, I know how to do that. I know what to do with that. That's a great. I know." Mm-hmm. And it's not that I've given them the five ideas to go and add, but you've just opened up a whole load of directions they didn't know were there, and now they know are there. They can't wait to explore. It's like having the next section of a map in a video game. Well, you know what I've taken already from what you've said is that the. The added value of doing something that you love yeah. is is so powerful yeah. because you do it with energy, you do it with love, and you do it. You know, you know what I mean. Though you kind of you it's want to job. do it. It's, it's not, not a, job. a job, and so actually your best work is on things that you enjoy doing. So why fight that? Well, I'm an opi- I'm an opinionated idiot. I mean, this is the thing. I can't not leak opinions out. This is yeah. why I'm on Twitter. Is because at least I've got. But you've turned that to come across as shy and introverted. Yeah, but you've turned that to speak. But you've turned that into a strength, Andrew. That's what I mean. Mm. You know, you've you've you've, you've you know, not that you've had a big reflection and thought, hmm, what am I good at? But yeah. what you've done is you've realised when you've on the right track oh. or something and carried on with it. Honestly, the tweet, the thing I do on Twitter, the tweet notes. I would be doing five of them a week if I wasn't a script editor mm. because I've got to put it somewhere. Yeah. It's going to leak out of my head one way or the other. Well, so I'm, no going get, I'm going to get to them in a bit because mm. I really like the tweet notes. But uh, the Red Dwarf thing, mm. that wasn't a eureka of like, oh, script editor, I'm, that's what I am now. No, no. It was just like, that was just your first taste, really. Very, kind of a taste of it. And then Paul Jackson, uh, I, was lo- I was looking to kind of move on from, from Grant Naylor. I'd been there for eight years and wow. you can kind of feel like... Right. It's the time. I didn't realise you were there. No, no, long time, yeah. long time. And we were, you know, we made all of those DVDs. I mean, yeah. a massive. The, the documentaries alone, I'm really proud of because mm. no TV show has a. Very few TV shows have huge, massive, in depth, candid documentaries mm. about the making of them, albeit retrospective. It doesn't happen a lot. Anyway, having got to the, towards the end of that, Doug recommended me to Paul Jackson. And Paul Jackson. They'd got a show in, in production called Honest, which is really I interesting. Honest. Yeah, yeah, and about about uh, Greenlit Productions. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it's a criminal family trying to go straight. Written mm. Jack and Harry Williams, who are terrific and are now you know flying so very high. Is that the missing guys? Um, that's the missing guys. Uh, and they they gave me, I think, episode four. They'd ri- they'd had the first three and they'd already started shooting, and then they were going to have a break in filming and the other three scripts and blah, blah, blah. and so they sh- sent me episode four, and I sent notes back, and ITV, so it's Paul Jackson and Mah- Michaela Hennessy-Vass, who were in charge of comedy at that point, just went, uh, can we get you to look at everything? Mm. 
And what happened was I became like a free gift with purchase. Mm. If you got your show greenlit at ITV, your comedy greenlit at ITV, more likely than not, Paula Michaela would put me on your case. And not to be the channel notes, because nobody wants channel notes, same mm. thing. They come through and they say, yeah, but can it have a dog? Yeah. And you just go, well, huh. Instead of that, what you got was me. And I hopefully, I come across as the script editor who's on your side. I'm the one who wants you to make the show you want to make. I'm not here to tell you what, what ITV want it to be. So you get pragmatic notes, but you get notes also that are take them or leave them. Mm. They're not dictatorial. They were never, you must fill Andrew's tick box list yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, look, yeah, here's yeah, 20 yeah. things about Useful the script that you've delivered. Okay. Useful hope stuff. Mm. And so I started just kind of working, and cool things, you know, Jonathan Harvey had a, had a thing going on, Carolina Hearn had uh, Fattest Man in Britain, there was all these kind of, it's such a, it was such a short-lived period of right. ITV comedy, mm. but there was a this lot of really what, cool... This is 2004? Oh, later, 2007, Oh, wow, that later, Yeah, right. much more recent. I've, only, I've not been doing that, that this long, relatively. Mm, right, okay. Um, 2008, 2009, something like that. And so it was just this very short period where all of a sudden Guy Jenkin, and like these are mm. people I've idolised yeah, growing yeah, yeah. up. These writers, and all of a sudden, and you have to be, and I have to say, actually, from a learning point of view, being put in a room with a series of your idols, you slowly. When I first went into those read-throughs, I would sit next to the the continuity guy. I would sit next to the, the person with the stopwatch, mm. timing the script, because I didn't want to be anywhere near where the power was. Mm. I didn't know want to be near where the talent was because those people are scary. They're intimidating. They're famous, mm. and I didn't want to be. So I hid. Because I was naturally at that point in particular, I was a very shy person. When I first started at Grant Naylor, I couldn't make phone calls. I was so anxious about. Because you have to phone agents to get mm. interviews with actors. I didn't want to phone agents. I would fax. This was pre ubiquitous email, right, in 2000. So I would send faxes to agents in the hopes that that would get them to reply. Because at least that way I didn't have to speak to anyone. You've got to get over that hurdle yeah. because telly and film, whatever, it requires you to come in and sell yeah. yourself. There's no getting around it. You've got to have enough mm. n- enough about you to, to stick it forward. And not the page won't speak for itself. No, no, You've correct. got to do the rest. So that was such a good training ground for me. For Number one, giving telling truth to power, that line from the West Wing, telling truth to power. Giving notes to people who you worship and idolise, but letting them know, you know, I'm sorry, actually, though, but it doesn't work. Mm. People, people who criticise my work usually are people who don't know what, what I actually do yeah, yeah, and a lot of that comes from well I didn't like the final show so I don't like his script editing it's like you don't know which of my notes were taken on board yeah. and which ones weren't and it's very hard to place the blame for things I'm very I try very hard when I talk about movies not to blame the writer or the yeah. director or the because you don't know where that came in the process no. and why it's still in yeah, there and you can say it doesn't work. Just don't say it's somebody's fault unless you're really well, sure. Neither can you claim credit. Though. And no, yeah, yeah, that's the hard. But it's thing. like if it's a success, great, you've mm-hmm. been part of it. But if it's failed, it's, it's like yeah, it's, it didn't ve- work it's out. very, very tough. But you want to. I think people think that because I've worked for so many people that I idolise, I must idolise them when I send the notes. And if anything, the reverse is uh, true. Yeah. You know how Doctor Who fans are the hardest on the show. Mm. I'm the hardest on you know, the, and it's not. Mm. It's it's not about. What I don't do is say, "Well, this show doesn't work. What's the point of this?" Because no, no, they want, they think it works, and mm. we've got. It. But whether the format needs fixing, whether the tone, whether the storytelling doesn't fit, the, all mm. of these things, everything's up for grabs, and they want you. They hire you, don't not because you'll fawn to them. Nobody. Will. There's a lot in the business now who consider. There's a lot, a lot of people in the business who consider the script editor to be an optional extra a luxury yeah, yeah. because you're going to get six scripts either way if you don't have a script editor you'll still have six half hours to shoot yeah 
and it's short-sighted obviously because then you've got six half hours that don't work as well because they haven't been interrogated as yeah. hard which means that ultimately you don't get a second series so you're you're playing with you mm. I, I did hear somebody say well what do we need a script editor for we want to spend the money on the show mm. and it's like they don't yeah, so bizarre yeah. money on the show on then. the show <laughs> the, um, do you, have you ever had a case though where you you know you're, you're, you're being pragmatic there mm. and saying you know you want to help them make the best show that they want to make have you ever really and obviously don't name names no you wouldn't anyway huh. but would you, have you ever been put into a corner where you felt I don't really know what this show is trying to do or I actually do feel that this is pretty much going to be a dead end because oh, there's I've, not enough there's not enough potential in I've, that idea I've, I've, I very rarely because if it's very rare that anything gets all the way to production yeah. and yeah. there isn't enough in the tank yeah, yeah. but whether I like it is something completely different and certainly I've worked on things where you know they weren't very, like uh, you know if a thing wasn't very good and I made it mediocre if I, if I took it all the way up to mediocre I'm proud of myself just for getting it that far because you yeah. do have to pay the bills you yeah, don't yeah. do this just for the art and the love yeah. there's also a, a, a job to think about on the other hand my taste isn't necessarily relevant to any of this process. As I say, that pragmatism. There's a, a sketch in Cardinal Burns where called Vomit Cops, and it's two cops turn up a crime scene. It's all very kind of dark and moody and seven or CSI or, yeah. you know, whatever. And they turn up with the long coats and they look at the corpse on the floor and the cop starts to try and describe the scene and vomits on the corpse. And then the other one tries to help him summarise the situation and vomits on the corpse. And then the other guy vomits again and then they vomit on the wall and then they vomit... I don't like vomit jokes. I don't like vomiting for some reason. I don't. I don't intrinsically yeah. find much funny in it, and it's it's weird. It's I'm the I'm the guy who like who likes Mr. Creosote when he explodes, mm-hmm. but I'm not a fan of the puking at all. Mm. Doesn't remotely matter. I script edited that sketch in exactly the same way as you would script edit anything else. Is is the timing right? Do we yeah. get the premise? Do we are we clear on the thing? Is are the beats right? It doesn't have to be too. I love Cardinal Burns. Everything else that they've done, that one sketch just wasn't to my taste. Yeah. My taste is completely irrelevant to making it work to the yeah. best it can. Because that might be some people's favourite. Absolutely, and it is. I mean, that one actually that went a bit viral. That one. It was. It was. And it's because you know about rhythms, you, you know mm. about comedy rhythms, you know about timing, you know about clarity. So much about sketch comedy is by the premise really quickly, yeah. grasp the, the truth of the situation and what's going on. So, you know, when there's blood smeared on the walls, it has to look real. You, even, we had a great director on Cardinal Burns, Ben Taylor, and he, he, know, he always knows whether to go for something big and silly or whether to yeah. play it, you know, quiet and real. Or yeah. the, and this one was played exactly the right tone, exactly the right super serious detective yeah, show yeah, yeah, tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is you know that's what it needs, regardless of whether or not you, know, you like the vomit joke that goes with it. What, um, you know, we were joshing around beforehand... And uh, you were saying people think the script editor's that gag writer. Oh. So you brought in to write gags. Now, obviously, already we know that not to be true from what you've said. Because I haven't been talk- funny once. You haven't been funny yeah. once. And you've never talked about adding a gag in. <laughs> but in fact, you know, and you say that that's something maybe some of the listeners might think you do. Is it actually something that some industry... I mean, it does... Do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does happen. But although nobody tends to think of me, because I tend to get my work on recommendation. People mm. hear about you and what you've done for something else. And they go, well, you, we could really use that here. And if you, if if what you're missing is jokes, nobody thinks to phone Andrew. That's right. not that's they, they know it's for character. They know it's for format. They know it's for structure. They know he's not funny. Right. Um, <laughs> by the way, I'm trying to write several sitcoms at the moment, so let's yeah, not let yeah. that stand okay. as unchallenged. I'm digging your own grave. Just letting you do what you want. No, just call it satire. It's fine. But there is a th- there is a thing where the the script editor title 
means different things depending on what show you work on. If yeah. you were, if you do, I always say this, it's the what is it? The conduit, the contributor, and the consultant. Mm. And the 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 contributor is well, he wrote a lot of jokes. He or she wrote a lot of jokes on this mm. show. But we don't want to give them a writer credit. Can we give them a script editor credit? Is that okay? Or, right. you know, they'll just come and do a punch-up. Right. And often you will get a script mm. it, Often in sitcoms, often in sketch shows. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a, the, the, what, I, what I call the conduit, I mean, that's for, for kind of soaps. If you're working on, um, on, a, on a series that's going to keep going and going and going, although you kind of see it with things like Doctor Who as well, mm. where there's a lot of writers to deal with. So much of this is getting the drafts in on time, getting them up to the right people, mm. getting their feedback as well as your feedback, right. and feeding all of that stuff. So you have to, that's conduiting yeah, 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 all yeah, of yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah. back. And then the writer says, well, I don't want to do that, but I do want to do this, and I'm interested in that, and they have to, well, I'm not sure if the exec's going to like that. Hang on. Yeah. You have to pass it back upwards. It's, all, it's partly an admin yeah. job, and I don't yeah. mean to denigrate that version of script editing, at all but it is so logistical and Mm. uh, you know and so political and political and a lot of it boils down (laughs) to um, you know just stupid things like well the actor's going to be away that week so that episode Mm. that you'd written and that thing well we've changed the storyline completely so hello the writer you you know you thought you did with your final draft we're doing it all again and so much of that is about nurturing they there's a lot more kind of almost babysitting that goes on with that job to make the writer feel that they're not completely worthless because it's not their show. They don't have a say over what the final product is. So it's only about getting the best out of them. So there's that conduit role, and I don't do that either. And in fact, some, a couple of times I've been asked to do it or hired people thinking I, w- I will do it, and I've right. kind of had to back away from it. And no, 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 no. I mean, either either don't hire me at all, or you know, yeah. Um, or that's we that's of your job. own understanding of the process, though, really, yeah. isn't it, Andrew? I think because other people would just think, well, that's that's what we need, that's, that's what we want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, like I say, you get jobs on recommendations, so you hope that people know that you're not a conduity mm-hmm. script editor. Because my job is just is the consultant. Mo- more often than not, a consultant script editor, like I think of myself as, you're giving notes directly to the writer. You're giving yeah. notes directly to the person in charge. You're, you're not funneling through producers in that direction. You're you're hopefully just getting them to the best version of the thing they're trying to write. And everything else is extraneous. I'm, I'm almost just feedback I'm almost just opinion which makes it sound much less of a job than it actually is um yeah, but you're focused, that's what you're yeah, saying. Absolutely. You're really I, have a, I have a particular the, yeah. creative I be, collaboration. I would be terrible at collating twelve different people's yeah, notes and yeah, sending yeah, them yeah, to yeah. the writer and saying, well, This guy says this, this guy says this, this producer said this, this director said this, but she's probably yeah. got the right idea and he's got the right idea. I know some script editors who collate all of that mm. with their own, so mm-hmm. to present it as their own voice, as their yes. own which but actually is a good thing. Yeah. Than like this thing here, Well you don't want thing. it to feel like it's just um, it's delivered with, with distance, yeah. with well they say that, but we won't have to do that. No, no, because you're going to have to answer for that at some point and yeah. either, the, either it looks like the writer didn't listen to the note mm-hmm. because the, the, the script yes. editor gave it to them in a way that was ignorable yeah. oh no 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 no. Um, but it's just it's just not what I do it's just not what I do okay well, I want to bring up um, the IT crowd yes because I think oh. uh, you getting into that was all series 2 not series 1 series 4 series 4 okay I, was, I, w- I came in at the arse end of that um, tell us how you got into the, into that though, that's, that's, that's my favourite story, story. <laughs> that's my favourite telly story which is it's kind of the dream thing again you know how getting involved with Red Dwarf I'd been doing mm. fan magazine stuff and then all of a sudden I'm in the office with, with the IT crowd, I had written for a blog, not my blog, for a site that several of us uh, all were, all contributed things to, and it was a very disparate thing. It was called Noise to Signal. It's still there as an archive. Um, 
but we would decide, oh, okay, we'll, we'll write reviews of series three of the IT crowd, and we took two on a piece. And, and right at the end of the series, Graham contacted and said, Christ, I wish I'd had you, these reviews earlier, because... You, well, let, let me just say, they're not just reviews. They're proper, damn, brilliant essays yeah. of... Yeah. Let's say yes. I'm going to agree with it's, brilliant. I've, I've just read one of them, and it's like, oh, right. my God, that was amazing. Right. So all I could stomach was one, and then <laughs> after that, because they do go on. This is it, yeah. Um, but Graham obviously saw them. He saw them, and what he, fa- he found that they were very pragmatic, that they weren't about... I don't like this and I don't like this and yeah, that's yeah. You know, and therefore this is three stars. The worst thing you can do. You, you get people on one I, thumb up again, <laughs> again when I do the tweet notes and people come back with um, well okay but it was shit. Well no no that's so subjective I can't do anything yeah. with that. It was shit for you and it isn't for me. So what, yeah, yeah, now yeah. we're at an impasse. All you've done is made your voice heard as loud as mine was. But I was trying to talk about analysis mm. and why things work and thing and you're just like no but I have an opinion. These reviews weren't that. They weren't just, I have an opinion and, you know, mm. this thing to my taste, this thing isn't. It was about, okay, so he tried to do this. The show tried to do this and it didn't quite come off. And here's why. Graham was directing He was directing yeah, as well. All of them done all of them, surely. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, this the is Graham Linhan, who's mm. like obviously Father Ted and Black Books and all the yeah. things you love. Um, and Graham, so Graham sent us this email and I, I said, well, look, hang on. If you've got my email address, that means you've been on my website, which means you know what I do for a living. You can have these reviews in advance of making the show if you want. And he said, well, sure. He says, I mean, you say that, but, you know, there's a lot of difference between writing an online review and doing notes before the fact. And I said, I know. It's what I do. Try me out. And he sent me, bless him, he sent me like a seven-page beginning of an episode which right. has never been made it was okay. it was it was an episode he was going to do i think that there was bits about kind of moss and roy end up babysitting by mistake it was a home it was and it was really good but it was seven pages it was just getting rolling and it's like i don't know where you're planning to take this but here's where you've left dangling threads and here's a thing you've set up that could be interesting and this is the thing i don't buy this setup i don't think but this with the and he just came back going oh right art you do know how to do this we'll hire you and that was it. I was hired on Series 4 of the IT crowd, but more importantly, he started recommending me. He started yeah. pointing out, you know, the more we worked together, the more notes he got, the happier he was. And in fact, there was, a th- there was a thing with IT crowd 4 where I was just hired for one set of notes on each script. And then when we did that, it was like the money's run out. And then they found more money because they wanted more feedback. Mm. And that's kind of like, well, then I must be useful. Yeah. I act, yeah. You know, you don't pay more if you can avoid it. Um, and that was it. Uh, that I saw, I was much... It's first that Doug Naylor thing, and then the Paul Jackson thing, which meant that I had a website that said I'd worked on several things. And then it's that, which gives me kudos enough, so that when Graham came calling, it looked like I was legitimate rather than just a guy who was blogging. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you, I remember, but again, the thing, again, it's because it was, you, you know, you did the uh, blog review stroke in-depth analysis. Uh, sorry for all the kids, folks. They're going in for a concert, I think. Um, they're all did, mine. They're all mine. <laughs> You did. Um, it's been a hell of a They've come year. to see you, Andrew. So, um, the the uh, yeah, Andrew's going to do a talk in front of ten thousand kids in a minute. Um, no, you did both. Of, you did that that as well. Those blog review breakdowns mm. again because you love the IT crowd. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So you've said it's not of your taste. However, you probably got more passion behind something if it is of your. Yeah, taste. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. And it's one. I think probably it's why because I always feel like I've been typecast as a comedy script editor, which is. 
I've been doing it. It's weird people pull you into sketches because yeah. sketches are a very different form mm. Mm. rather than being pulled into drama, which is closer to what sitcom is True. than sketches are. It's True. The, the target of laughs is the and would same. Would you still be into you'd, you'd, you'd still love to do a drama? I'd love it? to do any. I mean, yeah. I'm doing some comedy drama stuff at the moment, yeah. and actually, that well, that's is, a bridge, man. That, yeah, so it, maybe. Yeah. But that's the thing is you kind of you feel like a bit typecast, but I realise that part of the reason I've been quote unquote typecast is because more than anything, I love sitcom. Mm. Sitcom's my favourite form of telly. It is mm. the most interesting. It's by far the hardest. <laughs> it is um, the hardest. It's worth reiterating. It's worth <laughs> people, people don't realise how hard it is. Yeah. In terms of the, well, they do the plot it needs. You they do if you ever tried to needs. do one. Yeah. 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 I tried to write one. It was awful. I gave up because I just knew well, I couldn't do it. You I know what? You end up writing riffs. Oh, look. Yeah. Here's, here's three of my three, three, three analogues for friends of mine all riffing. Isn't yeah. that funny? No, no, no. Because the story hasn't happened. It's been 12 pages. Yeah. They yeah. just keep talking. It's one of the things I get a lot, actually, I've got a, there's always kind of like a little, it's not even a checklist, because there's nothing mechanical about what I do, mm. but a lot of the, you, re, you start to see the same tropes in scripts as they mm. come, come to you over and over and over again. One of them is passive leads, is, is main characters who do nothing, and people think sitcom is, mm. the people who've written those think sitcom seems to be a series of unfortunate incidents that befall a character. And yeah. you look at, you look, I get why that happens. You yes. look at The Office, you look at Faulty Towers, it's a, look at the series of unfortunate things that befall Basil. But here's the thing. And the, uh, sorry, just to bring it in, like even Seinfeld yeah. or Kirby Enthusiasm mm-hmm. would seem to back that. Absolutely. You pull those shows apart, and what you realise is the characters are the cause of all the problems. Mm, They are absolutely the reasons for their own downfall. If only he wasn't Larry David, this situation would resolve itself in a tenth of the time. But he can't let things go. Basil can't let things go. Jerry and George definitely can't let things go. David Brent can't let things go. Characters who get hooked on a thing and and have flaws and problems and bring those flaws and problems, it's like (laughs) all all Basil has to do... What he wants is a quiet life. Yes. All he wants is a quiet life. He wants to sit and read the paper. He wants to make the occasional bet. Mm. And he wants the hotel to be nice. And he's, he's got a bit of a snobby side. Yeah. But that's about it. But the problem is, when somebody comes through his door with their shirt open, he hates them. Yeah. He's decided he hates them before we've even started. Yes. So the snide comments start. That's and right. then he starts getting obsequious to the people who seem to be of the gentry. Yeah. And of course, the gentry can't be trusted. Yeah. And then the working class people aren't actually perfectly nice and reasonable. But because Basil can't just treat everyone fairly, that's nicely, right. the same, Mm. Today is going to go badly. Yeah. He can't let those things go. Yeah. He's his own worst enemy. Yeah. And, and so you get these passive sitcom scripts through, and, you, and that is so often the problem. It's just that, oh, no, look at the 12 funny things that happen to this guy. I don't really care, because yeah. yeah. that could be literally... This what? is worth a jingle, right? Oh, yeah. Oh. And where are its top tips for sitcom? Top five. Top five. Is it going to be five? I don't know. Let's find out. All right. Number one. Number one. Passive Number one. protagonists. Passive, yes. passive protagonists. Uh, but what I say to students in terms of sitcom as a form mm-hmm. is like they generally classically work around the world's worst character. Yeah. Like Basil Fawlty is the world's worst hotel We do manager. like monsters. We do like monsters. And actually there's a there's a I mean there's an interesting distinction there. We like monsters in British sitcom much more like more than American sitcoms tend to like monsters. You look at the difference between Michael Scott and David Brent, you can see a really clear thing that Michael Scott's a lot sweeter. Um, he's he's a lot less mm. damaged and certainly a lot less damaging. Um, in, or at least in his intent like, like genuinely David Brent will sabotage you he will absolutely go and that's good characters who cause those kind of things t- here's, a, here's a top bloody tip number two don't write the first scene of your sitcom with the character where the alarm goes off and they're tired and they struggle with the alarm and they hit the oh alarm God, that goes for every thing. script yeah, right. <laughs> because the one thing you know for sure 
is that happens to everybody. You've told me literally nothing about that character other than his waking up, waking up. is a problem. The only slightly interesting way to do that is if a ca- the arm goes up, the character smacks the alarm and bounds out of bed. Yeah. Now I know who that guy is because that guy's somehow very keen to see life happen. Yeah. What the hell's wrong with that? Who's this weird? Yeah. yeah. That tells you something. Opening with character... One of the things you, you'll have seen me do on Twitter, I think, is seven lines from Friends. Oh, yeah. Is I this, remember that. this breakdown of the first seven lines of the from first the pilot. episode. Yeah. It's the most extraordinary job in the world. Four characters are introduced, and you know who they are. You get that Chandler has self-esteem issues. You get that Joey's overconfident. You get that Monica has a... Um, preciseness and a particularness and you get that Phoebe's life is kind of bonkers and weird and out of kilter and Mm. that she's not necessarily in tune with the rest of the conversation but she's responding to it nonetheless you get that in seven lines and you get who what their relationships are that Mm. that Chandler is sort of in charge of Joey that one of them has to be the grown up so it's like taking your kid out to the store Mm. in seven lines and like four of those lines five of those lines are jokes yeah. It's the most amazing job you'll ever see. I will die before I write yeah, anything yeah, yeah. so good. It is it is precision made in a way almost nothing is so perfectly tuned. Mm. That's how you start your sitcom, is you tell me who everybody is, but you boil it down hard and fast, which mm. means that the next thing you can do is start the plot. Mm. Here's top tip number three. Number three. Number two is B-sharp. Premise pilots. I <gasps> bloody hate pilots. I hate premise pilots, and sometimes you have to do them. Sometimes it's required. Sometimes you've got to show a concept that's so big you need the full half hour just to lay the pipe. Yeah. But here's the thing: Mo- the number of people who write half hour pilots of sitcoms about how the characters meet, meet. Mm. and yeah. get together. Mm. So at the end, the final minute of your of your first episode is kind of like how the rest mm. of the shows will be. <laughs> the, the one thing you can guarantee is the first 28 minutes are atypical. Yeah. What you've done is present a script that no other episode of the show will ever be like. Yes. That's does that, bonkers. Does that happen a lot? Because I could, I mean... And does it happen on the shows that we don't see because it does? You don't need it. So what I mean is, like, obviously, like let's just take Faulty Towers. Obviously, you don't. You're not interested no. in how he got the hotel yeah. or anything. You just start, and the fact Absolutely. he's been there for years, and the same with the IT crowd. You look at, you're thinking those two fellas have been down in that basement for ten years, and that's all. That's what you need to well, know. Well, and here it? I need to draw a very particular distinction because when I talk about premise pilots, some pipe. Technically, the Friends pilot is a premise pilot because Rachel arrives in a That's wedding right. dress. Yeah. And technically, the IT crowd pilot is a premise pilot because Jen shows Jen up in shows the basement. Yeah. But the important thing is the rest of it is already, already there. there. Yeah. So it's it's not so much here's the entire premise because the entire premise isn't, oh, we were two guys in a basement and now there's a woman. Mm. Yeah. Like That's not the premise of the IT crowd. Mm. She belongs there. She just doesn't know she belongs there. So, But what, what you get is... Oh, today's the day the sitcom starts. Yeah. Like, there's, this is why it didn't start yesterday. Jen wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know that seems like splitting hairs. No, I know that mean. feels like. But, but driving a half hour to be about just getting everyone together yeah. versus. It's, it's Martin's dad moving in with Frasier. He's already at yeah, the, yeah, the radio yeah. station. He's already got a brother. Yeah. Yes. But it adds one more thing, which brings Daphne with it and yeah. all the rest of yeah. it. And, and sometimes meeting. Jen meeting Rachel's perfect because Rachel arrives and it makes Ross go oh love story and you go ah that's why because one one quarter of friends right now is that love story that's going to keep running and running and running I mean, you're still introducing characters, but as you say, it is pretty much what you're going to see every week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the quicker you can bed them in, the quicker you can sit them down and make them work and make them do the job and be part of the show, 
like I say, this thing of well, I don't, I don't want to be. I'm not going to be. I shan't. I won't join. I'm there. I can probably get a job somewhere else. Da, 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 and then at the end of the episode, all right, I guess I'm stuck here. No, decide that you're stuck here in minute six. Mm. That way, it's why the show started today. But the rest of the episode is still a pretty typical episode. Yeah, and I always always say top tip number four. Number four. Sitcoms don't usually have a first act. They don't have much of a first act because they don't need them. Mm. Most TV drama, actually, you know, generally speaking, what you do is you just want to remind people, hey, so you remember this situation, you remember these characters, you remember that she's a vegetarian. Mm. Right, off we go. Because you know the vegetarianism is going to be the thing that drives the narrative for the next do you, 20 minutes. Do you even... I mean, I'm surprised that you talk about first act hmm. because it seems to me that a sitcom is not normally a three-act sort of structure. Do you follow that? Oh, I think it is. I generally think it, think it is. We had a big structure debate last, last time, me and... I think, like, I think three acts like a bit like... Not that helpful to people, but do you still use it? Here, what I think is, I think it's a shared vernacular, and I mm. think the problem with it is that things aren't three acts. Mm. Generally speaking, when you talk about the three act st- structure, you're actually talking about four quarters mm. because the second act is twice as big as the first yeah. and third acts, and it has a midpoint. Mm. So we should be talking about the first, second, and fourth acts just mm. for clarity, but we don't because then people start talking about a four act structure yeah. by which they mean something completely different. The 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 talking, the the vernacular, the the vocabulary we've given this thing is actually really hurting how we talk about it and it's yeah. making it harder to talk about scripts it's lang- that language is as much getting in the way as it's helping us to communicate mm-hmm. having said that you want an inciting incident you want the thing where the letter arrives and it's like my uh, my grandmother's left me four thousand dollars if only i can get to there in time but mm-hmm. the train will never run mm-hmm. and then the series of obstacles and then with a bit of luck you hit a nice midpoint mm-hmm. and if you're on a commercial channel that's where your commercial break is and if you're not it isn't but you hit a nice midpoint where just going after the money you can't do a whole 20 minutes on just journeying towards the money so you have to have something else going on and you have to but why does he need the money and why is it important and isn't the thing he learns on this journey going to be ultimately more important than just going after the yeah, money yeah, yeah, yeah. and you start hitting that in the middle where stakes get bigger things get harder the train stops running the crisis crisis now you've got to pick between that and your mother's heart operation mm. you know so you but so in a way, to summarise or reflect back on yeah. what you're saying is, yes, mm. you do use... Sorry, that was the short answer. Yeah, <laughs> You do yes. use all those structural yeah. techniques that we might talk about with a feature or a drama. Uh, you, you're like, you're on it. You're like, does this... This still needs that same structure, same drive, obstacles, yeah. midpoint, yeah. darkest hour. You don't, you don't hold anybody to it. That's the only thing, is you never treat these things. And, it, you know, the worst thing about all of these writing books, and I, you know, and I do sort of swear by some of them, by which I mean I swear by the ones that suit me. At the time. <laughs> and the thing is, they all say roughly the same thing. Mm-hmm. They yeah. all say have a protagonist that's actually trying yeah, to do yeah, stuff. Yeah. They all say basically things have got to change and escalate and move. What they don't... They always have a you know have a nice good low point where everything seems desperate so that your finale seems bigger. That's just common sense stuff. Mm. The problem is, and you know, I recommend Save the Cat to people just because it's short. Yeah. And and the quickie beats, the basic structural beats, are more or less sound. Although all this stuff about you know make sure you state your theme, and you see all of a sudden characters are saying things they wouldn't yeah, say yeah, just yeah, to get yeah. the thing. Shut up. <laughs> You'll find that stuff. But knowing first quarter, second, third quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, knowing that you could use a low point, knowing that you want a good rousing finale, yeah, knowing yeah, you need yeah. a midpoint where things turn, these are good things to know. Mm. But when you send me a script 
the last thing I'm doing is looking at the tick box and going, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah, a midpoint, yeah. you see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you lack a midpoint. Yeah, it's story by numbers, isn't it's it? You story, don't want to do that. You but, don't want to but, do that. But you know it. If you feel in your gut something's wrong, yeah. you might be dipping here's, into a Here's this like point that. where it seems like we're doing the same scene four times, and you realize, oh, the story hasn't moved on. Yeah. If you'd have had a midpoint where something had really changed, mm. I wouldn't be bored right yeah, now. Yeah. So if, you, if what you want to do is continue this thread, you've got to give me something else that's interesting to balance this lack yeah, of yeah, interest yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got going on. There's a um, um, here. This is this isn't a top tip. This is a top anecdote, lengthy story thing. Don't do oh, a not, no, no, gonna, I wasn't doing a jingle. Plan. I'm actually slightly disappointed by the lack oh, of jingle. All right, tangential <laughs> anecdotes. There we go. That's better. <laughs> so I worked on an episode of um, of the Caroline Quentin sitcom Life of Riley oh, yeah. for Georgia Pritchett. Georgia's, Georgia is great. Mm-hmm. Um, show, that show never quite functioned the way it should, but Georgia's a that. terrific writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she'd come up with was, as a B story, the kids, the kids of the family get hold of the, of the school snake and are looking after it over the, the half term or whatever it is. And they get hold of it and the snake gets loose. And you go, well, there you go, that's, that's, that's the break from Act 1 into Act 2. The snake gets yeah. loose. And she says, and so they'll look for the snake and they'll hunt for the snake and they'll try and find the snake and at the end they'll find the snake. And we, we kind of looked at each other, oh, that's, that's not a story yet. That's not a story, and it's because it's not really about anything. It's just the same sketch over and over yeah. again. We're going to come back to the house, and the kids will be looking for it in a different funny way. And the thing is, she'll find 50 great jokes yeah. to do about it, but you'll feel that lack of inertia. Yeah. You, will, you, you will feel that things are... Sorry, you will feel that it is inert. Yeah. And you start going, well, what can we make? And in our case, what we said was, well, isn't it a thing about fear, about who's scared and why they're scared and how they get over it? Because that, a kid refusing to get involved with this, then deciding to try because his masculinity has been questioned because the sister's going after it, and why is he cowering with a baseball bat and a helmet on? Then it becomes about something. And the example I always give is if you look at Friends, the monkey goes missing, right? First season of Friends, Rachel accidentally lets the monkey go missing because there's a hot guy and there's, you know, whatever else. And it's, the, and it's not about looking for a monkey. If that was a half hour where they just looked in places and had quips until yeah, they yeah, found yeah. it, nothing. But what's great about it is, is the following. Number one, Ross has never been angry with Rachel like this before. This is brand new character territory for them. So he's completely in love with her and furious with her. And him trying to balance those two things is great to watch. And so you watch him struggle with all of that. But in the end, he can't... His, his nature because he's in a, a good sitcom character his nature is to let it out rather than let it just mm. fester and be quiet about it so he starts going out and he starts calling her on her on her, her behaviour right this is because of you you're self-centred you don't think about other people you're always in your own land doing your Rachel mm. thing da, 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 da. this is good this is calling a character on what's wrong with it and then it escalates because someone calls animal control and you go, oh, well, I mean, that's just looking for it more, isn't it? That's just the same thing again. But it isn't, and it isn't because the animal control person turns up, and number one, they can't find the monkey, because if they do, they're going to take it away, because the monkey's here illegally. Yeah. So instead of helping the situation, now we've got stakes, because now we've got a real problem. At the halfway point, things escalate. We have to find the monkey now before someone else finds the monkey. So it's bigger. But also, the alternative is, or maybe he'll get away. That would be okay, too. That wouldn't be as good a solution, but yeah, at yeah, least yeah. it's not animal-controlled, captured and shit, yeah. that thing. And the best part about it, the woman from Animal Control, she knows Rachel from high school. She met her at high school, she knew her at high school, and thought she was a bitch in high school. Oh, you were prim and pretty, and you know the thing. Well, she's got a grudge against Rachel. We've been talking about what's wrong with yeah, Rachel yeah, 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 for the first yeah, yeah. half of the story, and here's a character to personify all of that. 
what a brilliant second half. And it's still about looking for a monkey, but it's yeah, definitely but not more. just about... Yeah, yeah. And that's how you do it. That's yeah. how you build from a, a concept into a whole fully-fledged story. That's the difference between, I've got an idea for a riff about looking for a monkey, and do you know how well we can interrogate the characters and escalate the situation while looking for a monkey? What would you take from that, though, Andrew? Because in terms of writing... I know you're writing your own sitcoms mm. and starting to get in, involved in all that. Would you, therefore, be of a mind now to think about, let's take that example, would you be now thinking the monkey comes first, or would you actually think, I want these guys to start falling out, let me think yeah. of a comedy I way mean, that that's... So basically character first or gag premise first? I mean, I always say about... Uh, one of the things they said very smartly about Buffy was that you don't come up with a monster and go, wouldn't it be cool if they met this kind of monster? What you go is, wouldn't it be great if... If Buffy had a, because Buffy's got this problem about her boyfriend's inability to talk to her, and he doesn't yeah. say all the things, and she doesn't know what he's thinking. Wouldn't it be great if she got psychic and knew what he was thinking? Yeah. And then you go, oh, wouldn't it be more interesting if she got the psychic power and hear what everyone else is thinking, and still can't hear what he's thinking? Because yeah, yeah. that's more frustrating and more interesting. That's the way work round you have to work. Having said that. There's nothing to st- you can't stop which order no, ideas no, no. happen to you. If you come up with, well, I mean, the monkey could get loose. Well, okay, well. Well, that would be about their relationship then, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. If it? Whichever way round it happens, it's not that you shouldn't have the wacky idea mm. first and then apply it, as long as you apply it. Just don't make it the search for yeah, the monkey. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and, I, you know, and it's, I, I'll be very, very honest about it. It's much easier to learn these lessons as a... Um, to teach these lessons as a script editor as it is to learn them as a writer. Mm. Yeah. I did a... Oh, this is a horrible confession, but I'll do this. I did, years and years ago, I wrote a, a pilot which sold to two different production companies. One did it, developed for a while, dropped it. Another took it on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and it was called I'm Not With Him, and you can hear it because it's the audio of it is on my website still. Because right, okay. what we ended up doing was, let's try this as an audio pilot. Let's just see how if we can do it. Because I got so sick of endlessly developing it and not really doing anything, and it just felt kind of... Let's let's either let's kill it, but let's kill it really well by having a cool cast come in. And if we sell it, great. And if not, at least it was a good experience. Yeah. And I thought, you know, and so I rewrote the script for radio. So it'd been through a few passes, and you think, well, this is in good nick, and the cast seemed to dig it, and it all seemed to work. And then just recently, I did for the National Film and Television School. I went and did a couple of days of teaching script editing and this kind of business. And I said, all right, after the, after the first session, I said, go away and listen to this half hour and then you're going to give me notes next oh. week now oh. I was hoping for I, what I'd said was give me notes but the, the chap who was running the course uh, said you know what give him your candid notes don't give him the help him develop this notes give him oh. the just what you think and what you'd tell him say even if he wasn't here it's the most brutal hour of my life oh. it's a room of 20 students who don't have the filter who don't worry about your ego now if I, if I was writing 20, students yeah if I was 25, I'd have died. Yeah. I'd have gone home and killed myself. It was the most miserable did thing. They, and they did that in person? And they did that all in person. They didn't send you these notes? And all, no, 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 no. This was all in person. It was all to my face. And it was all... And absol- it was stuff like... I don't get why you stopped when the plot... When, when, when the episode stopped. Because it seemed to me like everything was just escalating to an interesting third act. And, I mean, they're right. Yeah. That's a real problem. And this guy's... His behaviour's inconsistent because he, like, he really wants to do karaoke, but then he gets up there and he starts acting really terrified. He's like, yeah, no, massively inconsistent character behaviour. You've got two leads who have the same dialogue rhythm, and I know that's deliberate because it's about people who share a life having the same kind of rhythms and being too close, but it doesn't, isn't that anti-comedy to have two banjo acts next to each other? Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is, and you shouldn't do that. It's, it's a catalogue of stuff. 
and obviously, I mean, that was 2008. With a bit of luck, I've learned a lot since I first wrote that, yeah, yeah. Uh, first put that all together. But it's so much easier to see it from the outside. Totally, I, I yeah, always totally, say script, totally. script editing is a, a reactive art. It's a, a thing where you send somebody a script, they read it, they can't help but have a response. Their natural instinct is to have an opinion as they're going through it. It's un, unstoppable. That's great. The writing thing is the blank page. Mm. That's harder. That's, mm. that, that forward moment, making a thing, willing it into mm. existence, is so much harder than reacting to something that already exists. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the things I'd like to apply to my writing more, is taking ideas, taking bits and pieces, taking those and having reactions to my own stuff. Graham's like that. When Graham rewrites, it's almost... It's, he's had notes, but it's almost like... Always, one of the things I say about script editing is it's like you put your script in a drawer for a year... And then you got it back out, and what you what yeah. you would tell yourself with that much distance after you've gone through the heartache of oh I poured my soul into getting this thing on paper in the first place. If you had a year for every draft, mm. writers could you know you could write one six part sitcom every fifteen, sixteen, eighteen years. Yeah, and you'd be really good though. It'd be re- and it would be really good, but you haven't got that kind of time. So that's one of the reasons you hire script editors to give you that feedback mm. quicker is to get to that point faster. And one of the things Graham's really good at is reacting to his first drafts. And the rewrites are rewrites. They're restructures, yeah. reshapes, yeah. they're overhauls. But you can see we'd never have got to that without that first draft. Oh, of course, yeah. And yeah. it is like somebody sent you 12 pieces of ideas in the post and you went, what's the best way to put these together? And you found a new way, mm. as opposed to having those ideas in the first place. Yeah. Trying to use that reactive skill as part of your writing process is something that I'm, I'm very keen to kind of do better with. Well, Graham's on Twitter, obviously, mm. uh, Graham Linehan, and he posted a photo once of his writer's room for the IT crowd, oh, yeah. which was um, just a blank writer's board, you know, of... You know what? It wasn't the IT crowd, it was Count Arthur. Oh, it was Count Arthur, yeah. right. So it was even more recently than yeah. I imagined. And, uh, he just, and he showed a photograph of what it was like after your notes. <laughs> And it was just like an explosion of ideas, and it really got them going. And I just yeah. thought that was a real cool thing to do. Um, but also, I think, I think I got to know you on Twitter, or mm-hmm. started following you on Twitter before I met you in person. Yeah. Uh, I was going to bring up the notion of tweet notes, but is there something else on the top five? That oh. that, have we got to five? Go uh, on, We've, we got to sort of four and a half, didn't we? Oh, I'll tell you what, here's a good one. Here's an inter- slightly interesting one. It's Final pe- tip. Is um, people who write sitcoms where all the characters get on huge mistake but here's the other half of that people who write sitcoms where all the characters are always sarcastic to each other and none of them get on yeah and it's been it's this huge mistake somebody years and years and years and years ago said that comedy is conflict that sitcom thrives on conflict that comedy and somehow everyone seems to have not everyone half of everyone has taken this to heart and gone right they must always be in conflict so Basil's always mean to Manuel no they're not Mm. Polly's kindness to Manuel is really important to that show but here's the thing the misunderstanding is this comedy sitcom in particular it doesn't thrive on conflict it thrives on difference Mm. The friends in Friends aren't in constant conflict. That show ran forever and is really, really good. I know I keep using Friends as an example. That's a good example. But it's it's important to recognise this. It's important to realise that the 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 conflict thing isn't isn't is the result of difference. When Ross and Phoebe start arguing about evolution, that's conflict. But they were already different characters. Mm. They were already and one of the examples I use a lot is 
He's actually from the IT crowd, and it's it's I think from series one, and they have lunch. It's just the three guys, the three main characters sat having lunch, and Jen has sushi, and it's her own thing, and she's got the chopsticks, and it's the mm. whole nut. And the other two are looking at her like it's space food. Like, what the hell is the matter with you? And she's looking over at Roy, and he's having chicken in a bucket with an from an actual bucket. And it's gross and disgusting. And it's like it's like that bit in, in in Friends where Joey has the line where he says, "I'm just eating the skin, so the meat's going begging." You know, it's that kind of stuff. Okay, so he's there. And meanwhile, Moss is sat there going, wonder, wondering if he had his yogurt first, would it blow everybody's minds? Because he's got a little packed lunch like he's still at school. Yeah, yeah. It's such a clear delineation yeah, of character. Yeah. One of the, the core things about sitcom, actually, is if you have one set of characters sit around and talk about one subject, you get to know who they all are really fast. There's, no in, there's nothing interesting about the friends in Friends all sitting around and agreeing that friendship's really important. We know that. That's the thing that makes them all work together. Oh, it's like doing a sitcom set in a legal firm and they all talk about, you know, the law. You're not going to... But find the thing they disagree on. Yeah. Find the clause that they disagree. Find yeah. the, the the aspect. That, this is why the, that that seven lines from Friends thing. It's because they're all talking about dating, mm. and 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 Joey's confident about dating, and Chandler's down on himself about it, and Monica's kind of mechanical and processy about it, and Phoebe's worried about you know well, what if it's like that time when I dated that guy who ate chalk, you know. You get character difference mm. from from providing that one central column to have them all dance around. Yeah, um, and that tells you about why they all belong in a show together because they're going to have different takes on the situation Red Dwarf's great for that Red yes, Dwarf's terrific yeah, yeah, for that because Lister is is slobby but kind of humanitarian like his, mm. his thing he worries about other people Rimmer's completely selfish but he's incredibly regimented and tidy and organised and rule driven whereas Lister is all slobby mm. let it all hang out Cat and Crichton it's one of the thing, interesting things about Red Dwarf the way that Crichton wasn't in it for two seasons. No, that's right. I remember when they found him, yeah. And it becomes a thing where actually what they found was a really smart balance because Cat is all ego. Cat is mm. all selfishness and ego and Crichton is all selflessness and guilt. Mm. That's a perfect balance. Like, a, there's a, there's a, a Venn diagram of personality yeah, yeah, yeah. interactions for Red Dwarf. Yeah. And it's why when you bring Kachansky in it doesn't quite work mm, because, yeah. because she kind of rubs Crichton on the wrong way but it's not really like... She yeah. and Lister basically share the same core values. He's just less tidy mm. about it. And she, she likes fashion and clothes, which is, you know, I mean, not the best writing no. of women ever, but whatever. Yeah. But the, she likes fashion and clothes, and so does the cat. So it's like, actually, they have more in common than they have differences. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah, doesn't yeah. sit in the right... In some ways, you'd have rather they brought in, like, Joe Brand as Kajansky, yeah. right? Somebody who they were a lot more uncomfortable with, someone who's too bolshy, someone who's too difficult. Because yeah. that's what Rimmer was, was that he'll talk over you. Yeah. When Kachansky were like, well, you have your say, and then I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's something about that anyway. And it's, 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 I don't envy them that problem. That was Series 7 of Red mm. Dwarf, and that mm. was a tough thing. Because when you've got a show that's, when that, that four-character connection thing yeah. is so perfect. Yes. You didn't plan it, but it ended up so perfect to lose one of the big, huge sections of that yeah. and have to plug anything else in yeah, right. is a rough gig. And femininity was a... Were, you can see why that might have been a good idea, but it just doesn't play the same. It just doesn't work. These things are a, mm. you know, are a machine of moving parts. Mm. Yeah. You know, well, that's I'd, good. As I say, I got to see who you were on Twitter. Sorry, yeah. And you were doing these things called tweet notes. Yes. And I didn't know what they were. And then I started reading them, and I was like, who is this guy? 
get over yourself, get a blog. That sounds like me. Yeah, that's <laughs> because I was thinking because what the tweet notes are for people who don't know, um, Andrew's on Twitter as Ellard Ent E W L A R D E N T. I like Elardent. Elardent. But nobody seems to get that. People think it stands for Ellard Entertainment, and yeah. it was supposed to be the word ardent, but with more Ellard in it. And no, 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 I know. <laughs> Little rewrite needed on that. Yeah. It, doesn't, know, it, does, it doesn't give play. you some notes on that. But the later. problem, the problem is, after this many years, I'm committed to it. Yeah, it's, that's it's too it. late. It's Whatever. nice. It's too late. Uh, but you give your kind of Twitter bite-sized kind of flow of thoughts about yeah. something, and I was thinking, just just get a blog. It's too yeah. difficult to scroll through. But then I just got it. Right. You're like you just after reading one, you read the second one. You're like, all oh, right, actually, it's fun to scroll through it, and your opinions were really insightful and really good. And so now it's become a thing for you now, hasn't it? It's like somebody, it for I, years. somebody linked, bless them, somebody linked to one that I did on Reddit, and the the Reddit community just went, oh, I'm not reading that. It all breaks all the sentences up into these separate parts. But it's not that I don't write the tweets mm. where the sentence goes across six tweets or anything like that. Mm. One of the nice, why, why I don't blog is because I would fill up thousands of thousands of words. Mm. I wouldn't stop. Mm. And nobody wants to read that. Nobody wants to read that. Now, to be fair, get better at editing if you want to be that guy. And the problem is I don't want to be that guy, so why would I get better at editing myself that way? <laughs> but what I would like to do is get those, those conversations started. And it's the other thing I like about Twitter. And it's kind of how Medium works in a way. You know how Medium lets you, lets you reply to a specific part of the article? It's, Medium's like a Twitter relative okay. uh, for blogging. And you, instead of just replying at the bottom, you oh. reply at the side ah. to the specific point that's Ooh, being made. Okay, yeah. And I kind of love that. Mm. And that's kind of what this, what my tweet well, you notes would do, because it's like. almost like a script editing thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there is a bit of that. <laughs> it's kind of like the tweet notes, though, in that you can, say a, you can talk about a specific thing, mm. like why um, Dark Knight Rises, right? One of the things I love about Dark Knight Rises, um, m- problematic movie though it sometimes is, is that if you look at the character of Blake, if you look at um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character through that, he keeps ending up in situations where he fails. He keeps trying to... He goes to investigate something, and he ends up killing the two people he was investigating at the at the, the builder's yard. Uh, he tries to get kids over the bridge in a bus, and they won't allow it, and they force him back. And you suddenly realise, all the way through the movie, everything that happens with him would have gone better if he was Batman. He wouldn't have shot two suspects because he wouldn't have been carrying a gun because mm. Batman doesn't do that. And there's no way that a bunch of cops on a bridge see Batman come across and, they, and he says, help me with this bus full of school children. And they go, no, I don't think so. Of course not. If Batman's asking you to do it, you'll do it. Mm. Everything in that movie was building to him being revealed as who... Sorry, spoiler alert, yeah. but was revealing him as Batman at the end... The new Batman at the end of the thing. And it's so beautifully done. Now, I'm talking about The Dark Knight Rises in tweet notes, in, in two dozen tweet notes, going through, going through, talking about different bits. I have one or two tweets about that specific John Blake thing. Mm. Is it John? Can't remember. And that means when people reply, they can reply just to that bit, mm. rather than to the whole article mm. to talk about that one bit. Yeah, it's yeah, specific, yeah. and I like that. It means that I have a kind of, once I finish the tweet notes proper, there's a whole kind of hour afterwards where people mm. responding to specific points, yeah. and I respond to that. And you can look at those chains of conversations, and I learn more about the movie, and mm. more about what I it's think It's a really about good use of the format, actually. And then you put them all on store and then I put them all on which store. is really great, so you can just browse them as if it was a blog, almost. Absolutely. Uh, so that's really cool. Absolutely. So if, if 
you don't follow Andrew on Twitter already, I highly encourage you to do so. I'll tell you what else, just from a, from a working in telly point of view, is that that's kind of become my shop floor. Like one of the, I've had now half a dozen people in the, this year who have come through and said, uh, could we get Andrew working on this thing? Because I read what he says about Doctor Who, and he's so right. So let's, mm. we could benefit from that yeah. on our show when we're making it. And it's like having a shop floor. It's like yeah. having a, a, you know, the, the, the flashy polished car in the front, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, front yeah, window. Yeah, yeah. You just go, just so you know. This is the kind of thing I do. And they get that it isn't tainted by opinion, that I don't just storm in and go, well, this wasn't any good, was yeah. it? Yeah, Martha doesn't that's know what the, he's doing. You're <laughs> that, God. Yeah, but that's the trouble, isn't it? Because you are, in a way, trying to stand out in a format that where Everyone's everybody's having a little... Yeah, and then yeah. And having a little kind of yeah, yeah. weird little rant or yeah. whatever, when you're trying to do something a bit different, but it appears... To, I think you said you common. lose followers sometimes. When you oh, I absolutely. I'm do. sure you <laughs> do. Every, every time I do well, the tweet, you're just filling their timeline every for like t- half a second. Absolutely, people get very, very. There is a small group of people who followed me because they found one lot of tweet notes interesting that they found on Storify, and I guess hadn't thought about how those happen in the first place. So the next time an episode of Doctor Who happens, and I flood your timeline with when, and I do apologise for flooding people's no, timelines. You you you're not apologising. It's I, an empty apology. I am, and I do, but. <laughs> It, se- it seems to work for me and for the people who follow me. It's, uh, and the other thing is, that's nice. That's Twitter. You opt in. Mm. You chose to hear from me. If I'm annoying you, if I'm flooding your timeline, it's fine to unfollow. I'm not yeah. going to feel bad yeah, about it. Do a search once in a while for the tweet notes hashtag if you want to yeah. go, as he said, because I'll look at the Storify when it's done. Mm. Bookmark my Storify oh, page. I rub my hands sometimes. It's like, oh, I've seen that Doctor Who now and I know Andrew's done his tweet notes. I rub my hands with Glee going, oh, I can check what he said this about is, it. because you do like a boys bit of an insight, don't you? Yeah, it's great. And you can't always think of yourself I mean it's what Andrew does is very specific and singular um, because quite often you'll have that gut instinct that you know something's not quite right and you can't put your finger on it yeah. and even and for like, the movies as you say yeah, you yeah. the odd movie or two that's yeah. really good yeah that, I've done less of that this year which I'm annoyed about I'd like to get back on I've just been busy but um, oh, that's, that's right. getting well, married for that. you oh, um, well, but you've made this podcast a Christmas special thank you yeah. very much we're going to have to wrap it up now because oh, it's well over our normal yeah and the, ba- and the battery is running out but, <laughs> but it hasn't felt like that at all because it's been amazing no, it's been a good chat Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so thanks for your time. And um, uh, anything people should be looking out for from you next? What's your next thing? Uh, I'm doing a thing which is currently called Alt, but probably won't be called Alt by the time it gets to, to broadcast, which is for E4 which and, and Mammoth Productions, which is a comedy sci-fi drama, which Ooh. I hope will be... I'm script okay. editing on it, which Sounds I hope, hope will be... Takes a lot of boxes. Will be very, very good indeed. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that you know half of the things that I've got in Dev will actually go beyond being in Dev. We all, so, we all hope this. Yes. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. All right, brilliant. All Thank right. you to Andrea Lara. Thank you to Tim for all his thanks, equipment. Th- thanks to Danny. Danny, give us people a roundup of uh, the, the gump that goes at the end. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at UK Scriptwriters. And if you want to email us, it's UKScriptwriters at hotmail.com. And the podcast is UKScriptwriters.automatic.com. Correct. Uh, or search for us on iTunes and all your favourites. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And we'll see you in 2015. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye.